0: Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. As we were worshiping, I just, I sensed the atmosphere is changed. There's There's a different atmosphere. Now, there's some things that I think are important to Recognize that when an atmosphere changes, um, uh, it's not it's not because of what we've done. Okay, it's not because of who we are. It's always because of who Jesus is. But the reason the atmosphere is different because we're going to end the same way we've been ending the last two services, and the way we've been ending the last two services is that we've been gathering at the altar, having communion with this consecration and commitment to say to God, this, this idea, I'm just gonna tell you the end of the service, we're gonna draw a circle, stand in the circle, and say, God, here in this circle, we want you to move. There's something that'll happen when there are people consecrated unto God. It changes the atmosphere. So the atmosphere, it, it's almost one of those things, the place was already primed before you got here. Did, did you hear it? Did you catch that? You walked into what was already atmosphere. You became aware of what was already present. The reason that's significant is because the presence of God is already at work. It's us, when we walk into it, it's us becoming aware of what was already happening. And oftentimes that awareness is because there's, there's, there's um, things that need to be removed in order to have more of a clarity. And uh, some of those simple things are we're just busy people. Come on, schedule, um, uh, things that are uh, uh, preferences, things that, uh, just us, that sometimes we we just, we clutter the space and there's just something about a, a space set aside. Our hope is that that's what we can do every time we gather. I hope you can find space to meet with God on a regular basis outside of here. Um, but that every Sunday morning that when we gather, this is a place that you can, that we can just enter into the the presence of God, and uh, it's obvious that God is here, and um, I can tell you what the the theme of this is, there's nothing about what we need from God, uh, because how many know God is able to meet a need just like that? He can can meet a need, so if you need from God in Jesus' name, as Pastor Tim already said, be healed in Jesus, receive from God, just allow God to do that work, Um, But I really, really uh, know today is just entering the presence of God, not from a what we need from God, but just who you are, who you are, Um, and just the the song that I could just break out into, and I didn't want to mess up Greg's key because I didn't know if I'd sing it in the right key or not, but uh, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all, for from you are all things and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Come on, you believe he deserves the glory today? Yeah, we serve a God who deserves all. Yeah,
1: yeah. You worthy of it all. You worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You worthy of it all. You worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things, You deserve the glory. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, you were the of it all. You were the of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Lord, we're here for you.
0: Lord, we're here for you. God, we're here for your glory, for your purpose. Lord, I thank you that each person in this room is created in your image, created to know you, created with the capacity to be filled with your spirit, to have the mind of Christ, to walk in the fullness of your presence. Lord, I thank you. God, as we jump into your word today, I pray, Lord, that there be greater revelation and knowledge of who you are and of what you've made possible for us. In Jesus' name. Well, you agree with that today? Say amen. amen. Daniel chapter 11. We're gonna jump into, into this. We're gonna close as we've been closing for these services. Daniel chapter 11. We're wrapping up this series where we go from here, and uh, we all love to know the future, especially when things seem unstable. And we want to know the future, and God has given Daniel uh, just some perspective of the future, the end of time, the end of the age. Um, we realize that there is a point in time that there'll be a, an end of this age. Um, uh, so uh, uh, that that transition, how do we identify that? What does it look like? We're going to Look in Daniel chapter 11, is the final, the the fifth and final vision that uh, God gives to Daniel. Uh, Through these visions, we recognize Daniel chapter 2 that there's a rise of empires. Daniel writes everything that is futuristic. We read now the majority of it as historical. He spoke it in years to come. He's writing in, uh, at this time, uh, just at 600 BC is when he is 603 when he went into exile. And then uh, he's been writing. He's now 80 years. Uh, old eighty plus years old, and uh, uh, he 's writing the the last vision, but in the first one we see the rise of empires we know that has now come Babylon gave way to Persia Persia gave way to Greece Greece gave way to Rome and uh, we also recognize through another vision when you layer these together you see more of the detail and uh, you then see the characteristic of those empires that have risen and fallen again Daniel writes it pre- it writes it in a futuristic sense we read it historically and so we 're going to look to in Daniel chapter 11 because all of it r- lines up then to identifying what, what we see as the little horn. If you remember the little horn, it first starts with the beast that comes out of the water and then uh, in uh, chapter eight talks about the horn that comes off of the, uh, uh, the ram and, and just things that, that are identified. This little horn, this little horn we know as the Antichrist. And uh, so there is the Antichrist that is going to come into place. And so we wanna talk today about what uh, what the, uh, some things in the last days, and there's a a, uh, a specific spirit and power at work in the world and a power at work in the church. And uh, we want to identify and say today, we're going to draw a circle and say, God, we are of the spirit of Christ and not the spirit of this world, the antichrist, but the the spirit of God. Daniel chapter 11, let's look at this and um, uh, I want to share today just from this title, Drawing a Line a line in the Sand. Um, I'm going to read, and uh, we're just going to go somewhat line by line, bring it to a close, and have communion. The only thing required for communion is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I think today is a great day uh, to know Jesus. Uh, he makes everything different, uh, changes everything. And so um, you'll have an opportunity Uh, To put your faith in Jesus, quite honestly, you can do that now because it's not a magic prayer. It's a faith in Jesus Christ and surrendering your life to Christ. Um, We're going to close with that, and then uh, um, it's going to be a great week of entertaining the presence of God and praying for lost people, and we're going to turn the whole month of September into a Sunday that isn't about us but about lost people coming to know Jesus. Is that all right? And you're not going to come to church alone. You're going to bring somebody with you, and you're going to invite somebody and pray for somebody. and. Uh, now, if you've already been coming with somebody, go get someone else now. So uh, 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 I want to see lost people saved in Jesus' name. Daniel chapter 11, here's Daniel has gotten a vision. So uh, this this vision goes over 10, 11, and 12. It's the most detailed vision given in all of Scripture. Uh, the details so specific and so spot on that uh, historians who do not believe the word of God uh, argue and say that this scripture was not written in the time of Babylon, uh, but that it was written in the the, the Maccabee period, uh, which was after this, after uh, Greece. They say that because there's such specific detail that it had to be written later as an aftermath. Well, no, God is just that good at detail. He knew and gave revelation to Daniel. It's so specific, and it's proven, uh, the, uh, the history that comes into alignment Uh, God gives this description to Daniel in chapter 10. Daniel knows that it's full and it's about the end of the world. And so Daniel's overwhelmed. Daniel prays for understanding, but for 21 days, he's hindered. This is where we, what we come to know as the 21-day fast. Uh, for, For 21 days, Daniel fasted and prayed. Now, Daniel did not say, I'm going to fast for 21 days. He was fasting that God would give an answer. It took 21 days for that answer to come. That is chapter 10. He's praying for the answer. The angel then comes and says to him, he had this opposition, what took 21 days? And then in chapter 11, he talks uh, about the beginning of, uh, or he begins to unpack what the the vision is or the, the message, and then chapter 12, Wraps it all up that brings it to a point because now in, at the end of chapter twelve they're saying wow this is going to be bad the antichrist is going to rule so what hope is there and Jesus is saying no he's going to be on a he, he's he's got a limited time it's going to come to an end and so there will be the resurrection and so he says to he ends it by saying to Daniel rest you will you will die but die at rest be at rest and you will rise again at the at the at the end and this time is set for a time in the period we or time to come we don't know when that time will be but history represents the spirit of the Antichrist that has been at work on the earth. And uh, here's what you and I need to know. God is not surprised by the future. He's the God who was, who is, and is to come. You were, you are, and you'll be forever. Um, That makes a lot of difference in our hearts when we know that God is working all things together for good, and uh, he's not done working, and he is the God of the future. Uh, He puts all things together. So um, um, if he's the God of the future, then how many know you don't have to worry? Because he's already been there, and he's uh, he's already got you in his hands. Daniel chapter 11, here's the vision being explained. Now then... Uh, I, Gabriel will reveal the truth to you. Three more Persian kings will reign to be succeeded by a fourth. So Daniel is now in the reign of of Darius of of Cyrus. He's uh, in that reign. There'll be three more kings to reign than a fourth. The fourth that will reign um, will be far richer than the others. He will use his wealth to stir up everyone. Uh, to fight against the king of Greece. He's going to have wealth. Uh, Greece is going to begin to come on the scene. This last king of Persia is Xerxes. If, you, uh, if you've ever read Esther, the book of Esther, uh, here is Xerxes who is the last Persian king who is ruling during that time, and uh, he is the last king before Greece comes in and sets up their empire. Uh, verse 3, then a mighty king, the king is uh, Alexander the Great. Once again, i want to remind you, Daniel is writing this from God, futuristic. We're reading it now, historical. So we know the details because now we know the names to these people because it's in such specific detail to history. He says, then a mighty king will rise to power, Alexander the Great, who will rule with great authority and accomplish everything he sets out to do. But at the height of his power, his kingdom will be broken apart and divided into four parts. It will not be ruled by the king's descendants, nor will the kingdom hold the authority it once had, for the empire will be uprooted and given to others. When Alexander the Great died, age 32, 33, around that time, he died of a fever. While he was in Babylon partying, and uh, in uh, Babylon, he dies of a fever on his deathbed. He does not have heirs, so he appoints four uh, generals to now be the the generals or the kings of four different parts. This is history. History proves this. The next verse goes in and talks about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. We're going to skip that and and, uh, jump ahead. Let me just put the details there. We're not going to read it for the sake of time. We could geek out on all the history of this, but this was the greatest. Grecian kingdom or the empire of Greece that sets up before Rome. Rome was divided into four parts. Those four parts uh, were, were at different areas by generals. They all fought each other over time to take over and try to restore the empire, the power of Greece. The two were, were taken up by the north and the southern king. Uh, the The northern king was uh, 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 S- S- Salutis, who was this king. This is the empire that is known from the north. That would be Syria. So they had their their empire set up. The southern from the Egypt area, this was Ptolemy. So this again is world history, that now you have Ptolemy and Salustis, that these are the 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 two, Empires that are fighting, and now they are warring with each other. And these next verses that we're not going to read give detail. That literally, they talk about marriages being given. Uh, they talk about uh, the the uh, the king of Syria uh, giving a. Uh, a wife to uh, the king of Egypt, and from that they thought they would make a deal. But the wife backstabs and goes against uh, 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 goes against. Uh, actually, the father goes against her father. This is what sets up Cleopatra. So, in e- Egyptian history that we know of Cleopatra, she comes from that descendant that she's got from both the northern and the southern kingdom. But she's a part of that about of, of that reign that comes to power. Jump to verse 21. I just say that to say this is history stuff. This isn't just Bible. It is proven by history. Don't tell me there's not a God. Don't tell me he's not working on the earth in this day and what is happening. Now what I want to look at chapter or verse 21, I want us to see a pattern in these last days. Uh, the last days begin when Jesus was crucified, but, but also the last days begin when Rome comes into power because Rome is the final empire to be established there has been no other empire since Rome. Isn't it interesting that now we have been 2,000 years from Jesus dying on the cross and it is still true that Rome was, was in power up until the, the first, five, uh, 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 fifth century or so, but there has not been a complete world power since Rome. You know why? Because the Bible said there wouldn't be. So there's not going to be. Now, have there been others that have attempted it? Did they prevail? No. No. Um, because what was driving all of that is the spirit of the Antichrist. Let me look at verse 21. Verse 21 then says, um, the next to come to power will be a despicable man. Now, here is the spirit of the Antichrist at work in a leader. Again, this is future written, historically read. This person we now know, as we know from history, to be Antiochus IV, who was the final leader of the uh, uh, Salute Empire that was overtaken from the north. So he is the final uh, king of that northern kingdom. He's a despicable man who is not in line. Who is not in line for succession. He will slip in when least expected, with flattery and, and expected to take over the kingdom by flattery and intrigue. Before him, great armies will be swept away, including a covenant prince. With deceitful promises, he will make various alliances, which, by the way, the uh, covenant prince believed to be one of the high, Jewish high priests that in uh, or, uh, 170 BC was was put out of commission. They, uh, this Antiochus stopped all the worship, did not allow them to, to have worship and sacrifices. The high priest was no longer in place, so... They had put away the covenant prince with deceitful promises. He makes various alliances. He will become strong despite having only a handful of followers. Without warning, he will enter the richest areas of the land that and then he will distribute among the rich or among the followers the plunder of wealth that he's gathered from the rich, something his predecessors have never done. He will plot to overthrow the strongholds, but this will last for only a short while. Here is Antiochus, we know from history. He is now operating in the spirit of the Antichrist. And so God is giving to Daniel, here is a picture, a foreshadow of what the Antichrist will do, but he is not the Antichrist. He's operating in the spirit of the Antichrist antichrist so there has been in every era there's been someone operating in the spirit of the antichrist reading with that lens i want to go back and look at some of these things that happen in the spirit of the antichrist but before we jump on that listen it says here he'll be despicable he'll not be in succession um he'll overtake when least expected by flattery and intrigue before him great armies will be swept away including a covenant prince With deceitful promises, he will make various alliances. He will become strong despite having only a handful of followers. I've read this, and sorry, I just got, I saw this with the lens. Of course, this is, um, I'm just looking at the lens of our culture and what Scripture says. What it says here is that through flattery and intrigue, he will rise to a place of influence, and he will lead and come to power even though he has few followers. The spirit of the antichrist operates with such deception that he knows how to manipulate and configure and work. That now in our day, here's the lens I'm looking at. The lens that I'm looking at is that there are some things that have come to policy or have come to place, not just policy, but to place of agenda that is so uh, uh, so off the wall that it does not make sense. That that very few people even agree that it is a right thing to do. But it only takes a few people. To do the right or to do the thing that is not even wanted. It says, even though he doesn't have many followers, it'll rise to a place. Let me just give you a case for point, a case to, to think of. There's a spirit of the Antichrist in the earth that is moving today because, again, this is not a political statement, it's a truth statement. There is hardly anyone that I know that thinks it's okay for a child to have a conversation and to talk to someone about changing body parts without involving the parents. Number one, the conversation, but the part of not involving the parents. It's absurd. I don't know anybody who thinks, okay, you're like, well, you're not in the right circle. Okay. Here's my point. If you pulled the majority, the majority would say, that's absurd. That should not even be thought. But how many know with the spirit of the Antichrist who operates with manipulation and deception, he can take a few and begin to twist Okay, so uh, just operating in this is, we are in the last days, and in the last days, there is the rise and the influence of the Antichrist. It's not that it's not been done before. Uh, This is history, which is going back to 170 B.C. that this happened, but I don't know if you've ever heard this. History has a way of repeating itself. So this is history, again, that is in a process. So he says a handful of followers, without warning, they'll distribute um, then he will distribute among the followers the plunder and wealth of the rich, something his predecessors have never done. He will plot to overthrow the strongholds, but will last only for a short while. Here, when he's over, overthrowing the strongholds, the strongholds, that word means fortress. When I looked it up, it means fortress, a place of protection and defense. And so, this is some of the, the verbiage and things that we get that, uh, you know, call for again, this is not political. I'm just telling you, this is where we are right now defunding police, uh, getting to a place where anyone can do what is right in their own eyes, justifying um, in a mindset of hundreds of people robbing a store in broad daylight to share the wealth with other. This is the spirit of the Antichrist that is at work and is on the earth. I just want to set that up. History repeats itself. This is history of what has happened under Antiochus, and it will and is happening again. Then he'll stir up courage, verse 25. Then he will stir up his courage and raise a great army against the king of the south. And the king of the south will go to battle with a mighty army, but to no avail, for there will be plots against him. His own household will cause his downfall. His army will be swept away, and many will be killed, seeking nothing but each other's harm. These kings will plot against each other at the conference table, attempting to deceive each other, but it'll make no difference, for the end will come at the appointed time. This is the uh, Seleucus Empire and the uh, Ptolemy Empire that have been going back and forth, and it begins to shift because now Rome, Rome steps in and takes over the south in Egypt, and then will later take over the north. So this is setting the stage for Rome to come to power. Um, verse 28, the king of the north will then return home with great riches from Syria. He'll return home on the way. He will set himself against the people of the holy covenant doing much damage before continuing his journey. He's taking uh, advantage of God's people Uh, In Israel, verse 29, then at the appointed time, he'll once again invade the south, but this time the result will be different, for warships from western coastlands will scare him off, and he will withdraw and return home, but he will vent his anger against the people of the holy covenant and and reward those who forsake the covenant. His army will take over the temple fortress, pollute the sanctuary, put a stop to the daily sacrifices, and set up the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. Let me just, this is now um, the king of Syria, uh, Salotus, uh, who has come in, who has set up this king in Syria. He's now trying to come and take over Alexandra, but this is his introduction to Rome. The Bible says here that warships will come from the coastlands. That word is kiddom, which is the coastlands, goes all the way back to Genesis, which is where Rome comes from. I know we could geek out on all this stuff, but I just want you to know the Bible is actual facts and truth and speaks of revelation and reality. This is, this is we're, we're reading it historical, but it's re- written futuristic. And so that there will be warships that will come. Well, in, in uh, 167 BC, there were warships that came, and here now, this, uh, this one who had come, Uh, Antiochus to now come into Alexandria, Rome had warships and did not commission a large fleet but just their warships, and they were there. There was a senator because Imperial Rome. They went to having senators, and one of the senators was commissioned and sent to this place to protect Alexandria because they started making connections with uh, uh, with uh, uh, with Egypt, which obviously Cleopatra was a part of that at the end of of Egypt's turnover and going into uh, Roman rule. And so he he sets the senator comes out, and uh, the senator Pompilius uh, Lanus comes out and he draws a circle around, uh, around Antiochus and says, make a decision before you leave this circle, whether to return home or whether to fight. This is history. And so he literally draws a line in the sand or a circle in the sand and says, make a decision which way you're going. Because if you come this direction to fight, you'll have all of Rome. But if you return back home, you'll be fine. It says here that he returned back home. I love this, that 370 years before it happened, Daniel is getting a revelation from God with the specifics and the details of what's about to happen. So now Antiochus goes back home, and as he goes back home, he takes his anger out on God's people because he is now leaving Alexandria and going back to Syria. Well, guess what you go right through when you get back to Syria? Israel. So he goes into Jerusalem, and in the same time, 167 B.C., Jewish history, it's proof, he sets up a statue of Zeus in the temple and then offers pigs on the altar, on God's altar. Now, if you know Jewish culture and, and the Old Testament, pigs are unclean animals. They don't even belong anywhere around. They're now offering unclean animals in a place of worship, and it is sacrilegious. All that's taking place, he, this has happened before. It's going to happen again. The only thing that'll be different when it happens is that the Antichrist will not go in, it will not be the spirit of the Antichrist, it will be the Antichrist himself, and the spirit of the Antichrist will try to exchange the one true God with a false God. But the Antichrist in the last day won't exchange one true God with, a, with just a false God, he will exchange the one true God with himself. He will go in and sit in the seat of power And he will unite Europe and do what has never been done before. He will bring peace to the Middle East. And he will make it all work and it will all come together. Listen, I'm telling you, the Bible said it's going to happen. If from here backward it's all fact, how many know we can go from here forward and trust what God's word? So what do we need to be aware of in that day? Let me read this last verse. and and, uh, um, It says here in verse 32, It says, He will flatter Antiochus, the the spirit of the Antichrist. He will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will be strong and will resist him. This is what I want to emphasize today. But the people who know their God will be strong and resist him. What should we be in the last days? Strong in the presence of God and the spirit of God, the truth of God, that we might resist and stand against the enemy. Now, this really did happen. Uh, the Jewish, the Maccabees, the, the, the Jewish revolt that rose up uh, and that that whole thing that, that took place, that was the result of what Antiochus had done. Uh, there's going to be another one whenever the uh, Antichrist sits up. There's gonna be a whole different revolt and that revolt will be the stone that chapter, Daniel chapter two talks about, the stone that is cut out, not by man, that'll come from heaven and strike the kingdoms of this earth, and will set up his kingdom. How many know it'll be more than just a revolt? It will be the kingdom of God set up for all eternity, and so God will set up his kingdom. So from here to there, here's what you and I recognize, that from the beginning of time, there has always been the spirit of the Antichrist at work to deceive God's people. Even in, in the in the garden, when, when God had Adam and Eve in the garden, what did the enemy do? The snake came to deceive uh, to deceive Eve and literally said did God really say can God really be trusted did, did God really say what he said that it, there's a deceiver that has been in the place in in Ephesians chapter 2 the scripture says that we once sinned and when we sinned what we were doing we lived in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world he's called the the prince of the air Satan is the ruler of this of this uh, of this this earth, this world, the, the Bible says that there 's three heavens when John the in revelation is taken up to heaven to see the revelation that we call revelation he 's taken to the third heaven. Well, how is it the third heaven? Well, the first heaven is the natural that we live in. the second heaven is the spiritual that 's where Satan rules because when he was kicked out of heaven, he came into this place, he rules in the second heaven, but then the third heaven is where God has set up his kingdom. Now there is why we wrestle. When we say heaven come to earth, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there is opposition because there is a second heaven that opposes the things of God. How many know there's an enemy that wants to keep you from fulfilling and walking in the fullness of what God has for you? There is an enemy. All the earth we recognize there is opposition. Paul said, The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing those things. What is that? That is the influence of the Antichrist because when we live in sin, we live like the devil. But how many know when we come alive, we are no longer made, we're no longer just people who are, who are, who no longer do bad things, but we become from death to life, that there is an opposition. There has always been an antichrist in every gender, or in every era. There's throughout history. Uh, Throughout history, even in Babylon, it was Nebuchadnezzar. Even in recent history, it was Hitler. Hitler had a desire to rule the whole world. And oftentimes, when somebody wants to rule the whole world, guess what stands in the way? God's people which is why in most cases there's always the opposition or the fight against the Jewish people because the Jewish people stand for truth and stand for a standard, one true God. And how many know if there's one true God, it messes up the whole plan. So I've got to get rid of the one true God. Good luck with that. No power has been able to do that. Everything has come and fallen. It's, there's, it will continue to the end of time that it will, will be this desire. So, what is at the heart of the spirit of the Antichrist? At the heart of the spirit of the Antichrist is to remove God and to put self in its place. Be careful. When we remove God and we put self in its place, that is operating in the spirit of the Antichrist. But John said this in 1 John. He said, you don't operate in the spirit of the Antichrist because you are children of God. And now because you're children of God, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now the spirit of God in you is greater than the spirit that is in this world. Somebody get excited about that truth. There is a spirit in this world that is deception, that is evil, that is darkness. But greater is God's spirit inside of you than the spirit that is in this world. When John is speaking that, he's talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. There is the spirit of the Antichrist that wants to come and rule. There's always been a spirit of the Antichrist. Here's what we we have to recognize, that all throughout time, that, uh, that God speaks in Daniel and he speaks of the, the Antichrist that there will be a time of wrath, the end of time, time and times, times, and half a time. He uses this word time over and over again. That time, times, and half a time is equaling, equaling three and a half years. Here's my point, that God is in control of time and if God is in control of time, then the devil's on a leash. If God is in control of time, then the devil only has so much to work with. Now, the, the disciples said to, said to Jesus, is now the time that you're gonna come and set up your kingdom? In Acts chapter one, verse seven. Verse eight is an awesome verse behind it. He says, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons. That all times and authority of time is in God's hands. It's not for you to know that. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He's saying to them, God is in control of time. If God is in control of time, then the enemy is on a leash and there's only so much he can do. I want you to see that there's more power inside of you than in this world. The power of God in you is greater than the power at work in this world. Go back to chapter 10. Chapter 10, Daniel has the vision and now prays for understanding. But because of the second heaven, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of high places, because of the second heaven, Daniel is praying for revelation, but he doesn't get revelation for 21 days. For 21 days, he's praying and fasting. Now, here's what I want you to, I want you to see this this uh, verse in Daniel chapter 10. He says, don't be afraid. Gabriel says, don't be afraid. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. Prayer for what? For understanding. I've come to give you understanding, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way, the prince of the power of the air. There are territorial spirits. There's a Persian spirit because there's a territorial spirit. I believe one of the territorial spirits over Fayette County is poverty. It's poverty, and I believe that when we know who we are in Christ, that we have all that we need, and God wants to create a whole new system that we can live off of and know his provision that we don't have to live in poverty. We don't, I I believe in Jesus' name, we're done being the second poorest county in Pennsylvania. I, I, I'm just speaking those things and believing by God's grace, he's gonna give us breakthrough. So there's a spirit in Persia that blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future for this vision concerns a time yet to come. He is now come. Here's what I want you to catch. The only thing the enemy was able to do was to block revelation. He could not change the outcome. The enemy cannot change the outcome. He can only change and affect the revelation. Here's the thing. If the enemy can keep you from having revelation, he can tempt you to lean on your own understanding. If he can keep you from having revelation, the only thing the enemy can do is not stop what God wants to do, but stop you from knowing what God wants to do in your life. But the people who know their God will be strong and will do mighty things. That when we know our God, it changes. And so the enemy wants to do whatever he can. So can I remind you that our wrestle is not the flesh and blood. Our problem is not a a political problem. Our problem is not an economical problem. Our problem is not a system and structure problem. Our problem is a spiritual problem that if we seek the Lord, he will reveal. He said in Jeremiah, seek me and I will show you great and mighty things, things that you don't even know. He said that to Jeremiah before they went into exile. I want you to know he's still a God who says, if you seek me, I'll give you revelation. I'll reveal to you what it is. And when you walk in revelation of who God is, it changes the whole ball game. Because now I'm not living by what I see. I'm living by what I know. Faith is a knowledge. Now, sight, you can have knowledge by what you see. But there's a whole different knowledge that comes because I know who is in me and I know in whom I have believed. And if I know in whom I have believed... I can say with Job that my redeemer lives, and I will stand with him on that day. There's a confidence. There's a friend of mine who, uh, he was going through cancer. We prayed for healing. God did not heal him the way we prayed he would heal. He went to be with Jesus, but one of his lines, I I love this. He said, cancer cancer can't take anything from me because I already gave it all to Jesus. He said, there's nothing, you can take whatever you want, but there's nothing here because I already gave it away. What a perspective to live with. That I already belong to Jesus. What does that do? It takes away fear. It takes away worry. What does the spirit of the Antichrist want to put on us to control us? It's fear. (laughs) It's fear. It's worry. It's control. But but when we receive the perfect love that comes from God, the Bible says in 1 John, that perfect love casts out fear. Here's an indicator. Anytime I feel fear, the Bible says if you have fear, 1 John chapter 4, if you have fear, it only shows that you've not fully received the love that comes from God. So the moment fear rises up in me, it's the moment I remind myself I'm not walking in the fullness of what God has for me. Because the problem is not God and the problem is not what's coming against me. The problem is what I'm allowing to hinder the revelation that God wants you. But when I have the revelation, no, my God is for me. He will provide all my needs. He will take care of me. He will order my steps. When I know who my God is, it doesn't matter what weapon is formed against me because no weapon formed against me will prosper. Okay, it changes the whole dynamic of how we live when we live in this absolute trust in God with this knowing that he absolutely loves me. It changes everything. And so now when we walk in the, in the, in the spirit of, of truth, we're able to be at a place that we know the enemy wants to hinder, but all that he can do is block revelation. If the, enemy can, if the enemy can keep you from revelation, he can tempt you to lean on your own understanding. And how many know leaning on our own understanding is a dangerous place to be? That when we do things in our own strength, the worship team's gonna come and this is the moment we're gonna get ready for communion and we're gonna draw a circle. and We're gonna say, God, in this circle, let it be your work that happens in our lives. So um, let me just give you some descriptions and, and patterns that the enemy uses because Paul says this, not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices. What does the enemy try to do to get us off guard, to take us away? And uh, here's the devices of the enemy. The, the devices of the enemy is a deception uh he 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 it he deceives us with our emotions. Um how many know emotions can be a dangerous place? One of the best words I, I heard, uh a pastor who pastors out in in uh, Philadelphia, his name's Brad Leach. Uh we were talking one day and uh he he said to me, Um, he said, Anytime you have to make a decision, he said, look at the facts. He said, Because your emotions will never make a good decision. He said, But when you look at facts, you can set your emotions aside. I think that's good wisdom that we get caught up sometimes in looking at with the emotion. And what the emotion does, it keeps us from looking at facts because the emotions just make things convenient, and we just go after whatever's convenient. Let me just, case in point, uh, not trying to cause any arguments or stir anything. I'm just going to make a case in point. Uh, We are told to follow the science as long as it fits the agenda because somehow the science doesn't matter when it comes to conception where's the science and so we're, we we conveniently but when we lead with emotion how many know you can lead with emotions and ignore the facts how many have ever gotten in an argument and you were so heated about the argument that you forgot what you were even arguing about raise your hand if you've ever been in one of those more I am mad right now and don't even know where this started why what is that the emotions override the facts and so the enemy wants us in a place, why, why did Jesus say in the last days they'll hate one another, they'll be falling away, and they'll be, why? Because our emotions now, we're just unreasonable, that we just, emotions take away facts, it overrides the facts. Uh, when you look at facts, you gotta have something that you stand upon and something you're gonna be built on. Uh, uh, as for me and my house, I'm gonna stand and build on what this word is, because it's been true from Daniel forward, now I'm looking backwards, which means I can hold on to it, be in truth going forward. The, the enemy will use the deceptive emotions, deceitful promises, deceitful promises seen in Antiochus' day when they made, dis, made um, commitments to try and bring together the north and the south by marriages. And they're like, hey, I'll give you my daughter, and when I give you my daughter, we'll be good. Well, the daughter turns her back on the father, uh, and then in another arrangement they have, they break off the marriage. And the whole point of it is this, that there's nothing sacred, that the word doesn't mean anything anymore that we just say whatever we wanna say and we don't, we, we, there, there's nothing sacred. The Bible says this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, let me just, oh gosh, I don't wanna jump in any fires. I'm just gonna be honest, okay? It's truth. Um, <laughs> and um, you love me. If I, if I go into debt because of what I did, That's my responsibility to pay my debts. But in a culture where, well, it's not your fault. You don't have responsibility. There's the bond that gets broken. Um, And there's just, I know sometimes that's touchy stuff that can make. I just want to say to us, not condemnation, but just awareness. Hey, the spirit of the Antichrist just easily sets and comes and lulls us to sleep like Samson on the lap of Delilah that we just, we just fall asleep, and, and then after a while, we're just sitting on the boat, just cruising where the boat's going, not realizing that the boat is about to capsize or go over. Um, but I would rather be in a life vest in the ocean, knowing he's got the end of the line, than to just sit comfortably on a boat that's heading over the edge. You say, but yeah, I don't know what's out in the water. Yeah, but he's the one who threw me the lifeline. And if he threw me the lifeline, he's got the other end. I know it sounds sounds easy. Well, if I just stay in the boat, it feels like it'll be comfortable. If I just stay in the boat, I'll keep peace. It'll just I'll just stay in the boat. I'll, no, but the boat is heading for destruction. The Bible said that. It's heading for destruction. Yeah, but out in the open, all I've got is that life or that that, that that, that lifeline that's been thrown to me. and, And I just feel so vulnerable. I feel out in the open. I feel like I have no control. There's nothing. Yeah, but I don't need control when I know the one who threw me the line has all control. Then I know the one who is for me. I get it. It's easier staying in the boat where you can just feel comfortable. But he's throwing you a line today. There's a circle, and now you have to make a decision to step in it. You've got to choose this day who you'll serve. If it's going to be Baal, then serve Baal. If it's, if it's the gods of your ancestors, serve your ancestors. But Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here's a story of a prairie fire. and I guess little house in the prairie days, I don't know. This daughter is out doing some stuff in the fields or wherever she is, and there's a fire that takes place near the house. And soon the fire spreads, and the family all gathers and they run. But this daughter is kept in a place where she's separated from her family and she can't get to them. And so, dad says to her, Start a fire where you are. And so, she started a fire where she was before the fire came close. And he says, Now stand in the fire. Stand where the fire has already been. Here's the point of it. She was saved because the fire will only burn where it's not been, but it doesn't burn where it's already been. And so standing in the fire, listen, I'm standing where he's already been. Do you know from the foundations of the world he was slain? And he already knows he's going to be standing where he's, he's going to come in on, the, on Mount of Olives. He's going to touch down his feet not on a plane I don't know how this all worked but Jesus is going to come again he has seen all things from the beginning to the end and now I have to make a decision to walk where the fire has already burned or to just stay where I've been there's a lifeline there's a circle there's a place and God has made a way for you and I um I just really feel that in my spirit today. Some of us have been tempted to stay in the boat. But God is saying today, no, I'm throwing you a lifeline. And um, I say it that way because following Jesus doesn't mean it's easy. People don't agree with everything we say, it's history. Just the way there's going to be persecution. There's going to be, and which, by the way, if you think this is persecution, <laughs> because people don't like, you know, I got persecuted. Someone defriended me or unfriended me on Facebook. I'm persecuted. <laughs> no, you're not. There are people in other countries losing their heads for the gospel. And there'll be this opposition. It'll be easy just to stay in the boat, but the people who know their God will be strong and resist him. I want to know him. And I want to know him so well that when the spirit of the Antichrist rises even more, I know the truth that I'm not going to fall for the lie. How many know what I'm talking about? I'm going to be in Christ. Would you stand with me as we close? We're going to sing this song and the only requirement for communion. I'm going to ask you to come to this altar today to receive communion just as a response for us to have a circle at the front of this sanctuary together that we say, God, we belong to you. We want to be the people who know our God to be strong. So I'm going to ask you today to come and receive communion. But if you don't know Jesus, as I said, the requirement is to know Jesus because the Lord told Paul that if we eat communion in an unworthy way we bring condemnation to ourselves and in an unworthy manner is to do so without honoring Jesus to take communion just continue doing life the way you want to just doing your own thing that's, that's not the proper way to receive communion the proper way to receive communion is to acknowledge what Christ has done on the cross and to remember him as I take this and to remember that I belong to him so if you're here today and you say I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life I'm just gonna just right where you are this is the first time or maybe you say, I need to recommit my life, just lift your hand right where you are today. You say, today I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. I'm jumping in that lifeline that he's thrown for me. If there's anybody today, you say, today I'm surrendering.